0: It's good to see all of you here today, you're smiling half faces. (laughs) Somehow you need to, I guess we all need to learn how to smile on the top of our face. You know, you can kind of see the smile when people smile, you see their face crinkles on top a little bit, but anyway, most of you are unmasked, or yeah, Jerry's like this half, you can see the half smile on one side, and is he really smiling on the other side? That's a question that's been plaguing mankind for centuries. When we think of beauty, can we get the PowerPoint up? There we go. When we think of beauty, we often think of physical beauty, don't we? We've all heard the phrase, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And essentially, what's beautiful to one person may not seem quite as beautiful to another. Like, for example, let's take a look at these orangutans. One says to the other, my boyfriend thinks I'm beautiful. They do say that love is blind. (laughs) Of course, smart husbands always think their wives are beautiful. And if they don't really think that, if they're smart, they certainly never tell them otherwise. This guy, however, not so smart. They're in the beauty section treatment and he says, should I get you a shopping cart? not not a good idea not a good idea now animals don't understand beauty the same way we do we'll take a more serious look at that in just a minute here but these cows here clearly don't get it one says to the other as they look at the woman in the salon under the hair dryer i don't know it looks like some kind of milking machine but she's wearing it all wrong <laughs> We also know that physical beauty is fleeting. We'll also take a little bit more serious look at that in a moment. But inner beauty is something that we can recognize too, like this lady who says, I have inner beauty and I have video from my colonoscopy to prove it. (laughs) So any discussion of beauty in almost any form always seems to raise a lot of questions. Like, for example, this one. Why is it called beauty sleep when you wake up looking like a troll? Another question, Jerry, that's been plaguing mankind for centuries. Okay, enough of that. Enough of that. Last week, we took a close look at our God of grace. But not just the amazing, saving grace that we usually think of, or His strengthening grace that we continually rely on as His followers in Christ. Those are the kinds of grace that we enjoy as believers in Christ. What we looked at last week was what we call common grace. A kind of grace that's common, not because it's just everyday pedestrian stuff, but because everyone experiences it. Even if you're not a believer, whether you're a Christian or not, you experience common grace. Everyone, for example, can benefit from advances in medical science, even if you're an atheist. Even unbelievers can enjoy and appreciate children and grandchildren. That gift of God's not reserved for Christians alone. Even atheists can have good jobs. They can have nice houses. They can have automobiles or any other convenience that you can think of. While God blesses those of us in Christ with His saving grace, He blesses everyone with gifts of His common grace. Well, one gift of His common grace is beauty. You don't have to be a believer in Christ to have or to enjoy beautiful things. You can enjoy a pretty sunrise. You can enjoy a sunset or a mountain scene, even if you are not a believer in Christ. So originally, thinking of this theme before last week's part one of this message, I was going to combine these thoughts into one message of common grace. But the more I studied and the more I explored and the more I thought about this theme, I thought that beauty, which is another, in fact, incredible gift of God's common grace, deserved its own sermon. So here we are. A key understanding of common grace and of beauty is this. Both are designed and used by God to point us to Himself. That's their purpose. Both are used by God to direct our thoughts to Him and to lead us into not just elements of His common grace, but into His saving grace. That's their purpose. And even more than that, both are designed ultimately to cause us to glorify Him the Giver of all good gifts, and the Creator of everything that's beautiful. So, if you hear nothing else this morning, if you go away with nothing else, I want you to remember that God is about glorifying Himself because He is the only One worthy of glory. And His grace, His beautiful creation, leads us to glorify Him and magnify Him and praise Him. Now, in many ways, King David in his role as a psalmist, wrote many psalms that are very helpful for us in so many different ways, in so many different kinds of difficulty. Don't we often go to the psalms first when we're hurting and when things are hard? They help us as they encourage us to trust the Lord. They help us gain perspective. They help us gain God's perspective. They teach us not to fear. When fear would seem to be our natural response to whatever is going on in our lives at any given moment. So many of these Psalms of David, we can apply to our own lives and our own circumstances if we think about it. Psalm 27 is one of those. Let me just read the first four verses. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple." So here's David. David is facing circumstances and people that he might dread if it weren't for the Lord. He's facing evildoers. He's facing adversaries. He's facing enemies. Yet he's proclaiming his trust in God to deliver him and to defend him. In the midst of this, you might think he would ask for the Lord to send more soldiers to defend him. Or maybe more angels to do battle on his behalf maybe ask for protection maybe ask for circumstances to change maybe for a big hole to open up and swallow all of his enemies if you had evildoers ready to devour your flesh what would you ask for isn't it interesting to compare the prayers of both the old and New Testament saints to our prayers sometimes I think when we do it might sometimes change the priorities of our prayers, So it's, there's nothing wrong with asking for deliverance. There's nothing wrong with asking for protection. But what did David ask for? In verse 4, David asks for only one thing. Let me read verse 4 of Psalm 27 again. One thing, he says, one thing I have asked from the Lord. I haven't asked for more soldiers. I haven't asked for protection. I haven't asked for the circumstances to change. He says, one thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. So David wanted to behold, other versions say, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Why would he want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? Why would he want to meditate? Why would he want to think about the Lord's beauty in his temple? Now, I assume that's also part of his seeking and gazing upon the Lord's beauty. Why would you want to do that when there are people wanting to kill you? At first glance, this might feel a little bit like escapism. We all do that sometimes, don't we? You know how when life is tough, you kind of just want to escape. You want to think about something nicer, you want to think about something that's easier to handle emotionally. You want to find something beautiful and enjoyable to ponder just for the sake of a few minutes of peace and tranquility so you don't have to think about how hard life is at the moment. So what do we do in those moments? Sometimes we watch a movie or we watch a television show or maybe we read a book that mentally takes you to a different place, away from the troubles that you're experiencing in your life, away from the real world. That's escapism but it's not what David was doing. David knew something that we don't often think about. He knew some things about the beauty of the Lord that it would be good for us to explore, and that's what we're going to do this morning. And this is where I think we sometimes limit our understanding of beauty to just how things look externally, how they look out there. The beauty of the Lord as understood in the Word helps us to understand not just how they look, but it helps us to understand how things really are. Let me say that again. The beauty of the Lord as understood in the Word helps us to understand not just how things look, but how they really are. Think about this. We used to sing a song here with the lyrics, Trusting in you is so easy to do when I see you as you really are. You remember that song that we used to sing? We haven't sung it in a while. We also sing a song called Open the Eyes of My Heart, which says, I want to see you, to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Or how about this old one, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. So David knew these things to be true. And he knew that when he gazed upon the beauty of the Lord, when he allowed himself the opportunity to meditate, to ponder, to think deeply about the beauty of the Lord, that this was the one thing that he really needed when times are tough. We don't usually think that way, but that's what David knew, and that's why we're taking a look at that this morning. Because when he did that, he would see God as he really is. High and lifted up, shining in the light of his beautiful glory. This view of spiritual reality would strengthen David. It would sustain David. Our experience of beauty in this life is only a reflection of the beauty of the Lord. But as a reflection does, it's designed to make us think of and see a representation, see a part of that thing or the person that it's reflecting. The word for beauty here can literally mean delightfulness. Don't we usually delight in true beauty? It's kind of those wow moments. huh? You've been there, you've seen something that's truly beautiful. You've experienced something that's truly beautiful, and just internally even, maybe externally, you might say, wow, don't we want to stay there and meditate on it? Don't we want to ponder that? Don't, want to we, don't we want to gaze upon it? Isn't that why we take pictures or we shoot video? So we can think about that moment so we can remember that scene or that person who brings beauty into our lives. We want to stay there, don't we? We want to make it last because our experience of earthly beauty is so fleeting. It's what Peter wanted to do when the Lord Jesus was transfigured. You remember that story? And for a moment, Peter saw the beauty and the glory of God the Son. Remember what he wanted to do? He wanted to pitch a tent. And he wanted to stay a while. This is why David wanted just one thing. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Why do we long for beauty in our lives? Why do we love and crave beauty? And you know what? We do. We do. We crave it. We instinctively know that we want it and that we need it. Part of the reason that we crave beauty is that we, all of us, are image bearers. We read in Genesis 1.27, that's another way of looking at the reality that we are created in God's image. God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Because we are image bearers, we are made in God's image. And because God is ultimate beauty, the creator of all things beautiful, and consequently he's also the standard by which any and all beauty is judged, We crave beauty. We want to have it. We want to own it. We want to possess it. Now some of these thoughts this morning are drawn from a great book I read. It's called Eyes Wide Open by an author named Stephen DeWitt. He's actually a pastor, I believe. And he writes in this book that image bearers are not content with merely seeing beauty. Beauty's gift is wonder, and wonder's desire is expression and possession. He also quotes C.S. Lewis who says, The sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to find the place where all the beauty came from. Again, just as with common grace, we have to remember God's purpose in His creation of all the things that are beautiful. It's to point us to the source. It's to point us to the Creator of all that beauty and ultimately to bring glory to the Creator. Now we usually don't think of this in the way we're looking at it here this morning, because we swim in this culture, right? A fish that swims in the ocean or a fish tank or a lake doesn't think about the fact that that's where he is. It's the environment he swims in. And it's as natural to the fish as it is for us to breathe air. We don't even think about it. But think about it for a minute. Beauty is all around us, my brothers and sisters. Beauty is all around us. It dominates life. It dominates culture, it dominates media, it dominates society. And we don't realize or even think about it, or certainly we don't think about why this is. Even in COVID world, even in our fractured society, this is true. Have you ever noticed that you hardly ever see average looking people on TV or in movies or entertainment? Statistics show that 99.5% of movie stars are beautiful. Studies also show that 90% of all statistics are made up. So we are wired for beauty as image bearers. And because of that, we have these moments of wonder, don't we? We were made for them. There are but two lessons for the Christian to learn. The one is to enjoy God in everything. The other is to enjoy everything in God. Now, I don't have to know you very well, and I know a lot of you very well, but I don't have to know you very well to know that you crave beauty in your life. Not just a pretty face, not just artwork or photographs or good food or nature scenery or music. You want and need ultimate beauty. You want that beauty that is above and beyond the temporary beauty of this world. Why are beautiful things so enjoyable? Also, why are they all so eventually disappointing? We love beautiful music. And again, that's in the eye, or in this case the ear, of the beholder or listener. But music stops. Songs end. We love the taste of food, but it fades. The physical beauty of youth fades over time into wrinkles and memories. There's not one element of beauty and the enjoyment that it brings that truly lasts. Yet we keep seeking the pleasure of a beauty high, almost like a junkie needs his next fix. And it keeps on fading. Vacations in beautiful spots come to an end. Food spoils. Sunsets go away and it turns dark. And nothing of beauty lasts. I think of the Keith Green song, which says, and nothing lasts except the grace of God by which I stand. So for all of us, in one way or another, life turns out to be one big beauty disappointment. Why? Because we're looking for beauty in all the wrong places. We've turned some kinds of beauty into idols. And worldly gods are always disappointing. Why? Because it's hard for us to think of God as beautiful. I mean, that's a hard concept for us if you really think about it. Yet, He is the one who created anything or anyone that is truly beautiful. He is the beauty behind every beauty. It's ironic, isn't it? If you think about it, it's ironic that God's good gifts of common grace and of beauty are actually in competition with Him. There's a song that says, you created nothing that gives me more pleasure than you. But people... Even believers more often live our lives as if that's not true. Created beauty eclipses God's beauty in the desire factory of man's heart. It is a case of mistaken identity. Every created beauty was created by God to lead our affections to Him. That's why He made the pleasures of earthly beauty so fleeting, so that on the other side of the pleasure we might experience either wonder and worship and ultimate satisfaction in God or the pursuit of the pleasure that beauty provides for its own sake. Now this corresponds well to what two great Christian thinkers of the past have written. Before his conversion to Christ, Augustine, a man who was very well acquainted previously with the momentary pleasures of sin before he came to Christ, wrote this. This is something you've heard before. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And then philosopher and mathematician Blaise Pascal wrote this, The world everywhere gives evidence of a vanished God, and man in all his actions gives evidence of a longing for that God. So let's think of it this way. What if the Rocky Mountains, or the Grand Canyons, or the Himalayas, or the Pacific Ocean, or Minnesota's North Woods are not just natural phenomena... They're not just huge rocks rising majestically. They're not just a big hole in the ground or a vast body of water or trees as far as the eye can see. What if they are God's beautiful expression of how big He is? How vast is His power? How vast is His creativity? Things we refer to as nature or natural scenery are God's beauty on display. It's just a small piece of the puzzle of God's self-portrait there was a 70s Christian song by a singer named Odin Fong anybody remember Odin Fong probably nobody does I do but I remember what he said in the lyrics of one of his songs you whose vastness is farther than space the beauty of nature just part of your face isn't that a great thought the whole world can see the stars in the sky Millions of people go to mountains somewhere just to be there and experience the grandeur. But do they see God's self-portrait when they see these things? Do they ponder his vastness? What if we were to realize that every sunset viewed, every sexual intimacy enjoyed, every favorite food savored, every song sung or listened to, every home decorated, and every rich moment enjoyed in this life isn't ultimately about itself, but is an expression and reflection of God's essential character. Wouldn't such beautiful and desirable reflections mean that their source must be even more beautiful and ultimately most desirable? We only begin to unveil the beauty of the Lord if we limit it to the kinds of sensory beauty that we've been looking at and thinking about here. Such as things that we can see, and we can hear, and we can touch. We're also drawn to the beauty of the Lord when we see virtue in people. Such as love, and kindness, and courage, and mercy. So think about this. When we witness these kinds of things in people, could we be seeing a hint of the one who is love? What does the Bible say about God? The one whose kindness leads us to repentance. The one whose mercies are new every morning. Think about this. There are things we need and there are things we want. And God in his common grace provides the things we need. And also often provides many of the things we want but don't really need. It's a helpful thing to truly determine the difference between the two. But you may want that car. You may want that boyfriend or spouse. You may want that house or that vacation. You may want that toy or that food or that job. But could it be that what you really want is God? Think about the latest moment of wonder that you experienced. Think about that for just a second. It's not hard for us to come up with these things. For me, recent moments of wonder include being with the kids in Bible Bowl just last week in the first week of the new semester. Beautiful. Beautiful. And fun. Recent wonders for me include the amazing scenes that God created when Barb and I were at Beaver Lake just a couple weeks ago for New Year's. And the drizzle froze on the trees. And the fog hovering over the lake at sunrise. And then the next morning, the clouds painted another amazing and colorful scene at sunrise. At least for a moment there was a sense of awe and wonder that touched me deeply inside. And you know what? It truly did lead to worship. But it didn't last. The sun rose like every other day and the colors disappeared. The ice melted and the trees were just bare trees in the winter again. So here we are, left with pictures and a fading memory, just a replacement, a reflection for the real thing. But you know what? It wasn't supposed to last. It was supposed to be a foretaste to reveal just a little bit of the greatness and the power and the majesty and the creativity and the beauty of God. So the beauty of nature is just part of His face. It was designed by the Creator of all beautiful things to direct me to Him. To give thanks to Him and to worship and glorify Him. Now, when we're not in Christ, beautiful scenes like this are designed to open our eyes to the reality of a Creator. When we are believers in Christ, saved by His amazing grace, such beauty can really bring us to our ultimate goal, God's ultimate goal, and that's worship. Giving glory to the One who creates all beautiful things creation is beautiful because our creator is beautiful he is the source the ultimate benchmark the only standard for all beauty but this is a hard concept for us to grasp for one thing God is spirit he doesn't have a physical body our experience of beauty is typically sensory things we can see and taste and Uh, touch and hear, though we noted that we can notice truly inner beauty that also reflects God's beauty. But we can't see or smell or touch God. However, He has chosen to express the fullness of His beauty in physical ways so that we can experience some, just a reflection of His beauty too. Yet the display, and this is important for us to remember, is not the beauty itself. We have to be careful not to confuse God's expression of his beauty with its essential character. Jonathan Edwards wrote, For as God is infinitely the greatest being, so he is allowed to be infinitely the most beautiful and excellent. And all the beauty to be found throughout the whole creation is but the reflection of the diffused beams of that being who hath an infinite fullness of brightness and glory. God is the foundation and fountain of all being and all beauty. An average galaxy contains 200 billion stars. So the total number of stars in the observable universe is a staggering 40 to 50 billion trillion. I don't know about you, I can't wrap my mind around a number like that. So here's a helpful illustration. If each star was a dime, the pile of dimes would be as tall as the 110-story Sears Tower in Chicago. And it would cover the entire North American continent. Wow! I mean, huh? I mean, I didn't have to prompt that. There was a wow moment, right, when you consider the reality of that. The universe is big. It's really big. Why is it so enormous? Because it has something to speak to us about the God who made it. He is bigger. All creation is a physical reality that expresses a spiritual reality, reflects a spiritual reality, just like the moon has no light of its own, but it reflects the light of the sun. All creation is a treasure hunt in which God has left clues essentially pictures of himself. Each picture is intentionally pleasurable so as to increase our desire for more, for someone more. Yet it's interesting that despite the wonders of God's creation, Scripture tells us that we, people, are His masterpiece. What does it tell us in Scripture? We are His workmanship. It means masterpiece. It means we're His poem. That's what the Greek indicates scripture tells us that we're his masterpiece our beauty as created by god this is an awesome thought resembles his nature even more than anything in the universe because as we noted earlier we're image bearers all of us and we are more a reflection of god than anything else he's created combined now that isn't a coincidence as we noted last week in god's common grace he gave us gifts that no other creatures on earth have Remember the lion eating the wildebeest? And that lion didn't ask for a little barbecue sauce to help with the taste? By common grace, God allows us as people to enjoy food that tastes good. He didn't have to do that. We could just eat on instinct because we know we need food to stay alive. But he gives us even more than that. Animals aren't moral beings. You'll never find this same lion now eating the wildebeest, thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't chase that weak and old antelope, or maybe that baby antelope, even though they're a whole lot easier to catch and eat. They don't ask questions about right and wrong. They don't ask questions like, why am I here? And is this all there is to life? Catching and eating animals, other animals. As humans, our desires Tell of our purpose. We long to experience beauty. If you live in Oklahoma, where do you like to go on vacation? Well, we want to go to the beach, right? Or to the ocean, or to the mountains, or to the lake, or to the woods, right? Beaver Lake, Arkansas is a popular destination because of what you see, what you experience when you're there. Why are beachfront or mountain view properties the most expensive to rent or buy? It all comes back to the reality that we are His image bearers. We were made for God's beauty and all beauty is God's beauty. So when we see or hear or taste or smell one of the created reflections of God's beauty, we love it. It creates those wow moments of wonder and we want more. Animals don't experience wonder or wow. This mountain lion living in the beautiful mountain scene looks like he's posing, doesn't stop and ponder and say, wow, that's beautiful, that scene behind me. But wonder awakens within all of us humans, created in his image, memories of when everything was as God originally made it to be in the garden, as it ought to be, and as it will be again someday. Those wow moments make us want to possess the beauty itself, so that we can continue to experience that moment. Again, as we mentioned earlier, that's why we take pictures. That's why we shoot video. That's why we paint these kinds of scenes. The moments of wonder are for the very purpose of leading us to the ultimate human expression and our most treasured privilege. That's the worship of the One who made beautiful things and made things beautiful. Though sin distorted everything, including creation's beauty and its effect on us, beauty's purpose remains, worship of, gratitude toward, the maker. Beauty still creates wonder, and wonder still searches for someone to give glory for the beauty. Without God, however, we are left to worship the artist when we're looking at man-made beauty or simply the beauty for its own sake. We worship created things rather than the Creator, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Our wonder turns on to itself. You know what? We have been tricked. We've been tricked into believing that there is something better than God. This deception has taken place on such a universal scale that it seems normal. What is infinitely beautiful is, is set aside, and what is morally and spiritually hideous by comparison is treasured. How can this be? That's because this particular lie comes with blinders, so we can't see what's actually beautiful, desirable, and spiritually satisfying. We read in 2 Corinthians 4.4, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But here's the good news for those of us this morning who are in Christ. And as I look around, I think that's all of us. My brothers and sisters, we who are in Christ are not blind anymore. We're not blind anymore. As John Noten, Newton wrote in his Enduring Him amazing Grace, I was blind, but now I see. We see beauty all around us. We have the ability, because, of, because we're redeemed, We have the ability to see beauty and to enjoy beauty. And as Christians, we look forward to beauty beyond words. Beauty beyond capturing with photographs in the eternally beautiful place that God has prepared for those who love Him. And these realities, here and in the future, lead us to worship the Creator of all that is beautiful because even as He is love, even as He is love, full of grace, even as He is merciful, He is also beauty itself, and He alone is worthy of our worship. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your creation, which reveals You to us in a way that we can grasp and we can understand. We thank You for the truth that the beauty of nature is just part of Your face. And Father, help us to never worship the beauty of, but worship the creator of that beauty. We pray, Heavenly Father, even as you intended by creating such beautiful things, that you would use that to lead people to consider the King of kings and Lord of lords and consider uh, following Jesus with their whole heart. We pray also, Father, that for us as believers, that the beauty that we see around us, first of all, you'd open our eyes to it more. You'd open our eyes, Father, and help us even as we gaze on the beauty around us, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, even as David said, that one thing, this one thing I ask, Father. So we ask that for each of us, that we may gaze upon Your beauty and it may make a difference in our lives as we meditate on Your creation and on the things that You have done for us, Father God. We are grateful for these things and we ask now, Father, that we would ponder these things as we go, in Jesus' name, Amen.